0: Embarking on the journey of business ownership transfer can be complicated and emotional, particularly with family entwined. Join me, Vincent Mastrovito, owner of Prometheus Partners in Finishing Touches, the podcast that genuinely understands your challenges and aims to equip you with invaluable tips for a smooth business succession. By the end of each episode, you'll feel more confident and ready to guide your business into the next phase. Enjoy the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Finishing Touches, the show where we delve into the world uh, of business transitions and uncover the secrets to successful mergers and acquisitions. Um, Today, we're going to have a very special guest with us today. Michelle Kime is an M&A expert with over four years of corporate and PE and M&A experience. Michelle uh, is the owner of Cross Key Partners, a company dedicated to making business transitions seamless. But that's not all. Before venturing into the M and A market, Michelle spent over a decade running supply chains for aerospace and defense manufacturers. She holds an MBA from the prestigious University of Chicago Booth, and is a wife and mother of two wonderful children. And here's a fun fact for you. Michelle is also an Irish dancer. That's going to be talked about today. That is for sure, Michelle. Uh, Competing all across North America in her spare time, if she has any, I'm going to suspect. Today, we'll be exploring some of the key discussion points with Michelle. First up, we'll uncover CKP supports, how CKP supports business owners on their path to selling their business, and what exactly is the difference between a buyer's rep and a seller's rep. Then dig into some timing of selling a business and discuss how soon before sale should you start talking about potential buyers. And then lastly, we'll address the ever important question of finding the right buyer and transition plan for your business and how to make that crucial choice. So that was certainly a whole lot and a mouthful for everybody to handle. So get ready for some informative and entertaining discussions uh, with Michelle on mergers and acquisitions with our expert. Uh, welcome to Finishing Touches, Michelle. Great to have you here. Wonderful to see you again. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Thanks so much for the the very warm introduction, Vince. Um, it's it is a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm excited to get started. Um, I love m and I love talking about M&A, and I do love talking about Irish dancing. So be careful. What All right. Talk. <laughs> well, let's
0: let's let's spend a minute or so and and help our listeners understand um, Irish dancing because I think that is just fascinating and just kind of help them understand it's it's great to be well-rounded as a person, right? And certainly, um, you're not going to catch Vince out there doing Irish dancing at this point. It would probably be more comical than anything, but tell us a little bit, how'd you get started? And tell us a little bit about it.
1: Yeah, my husband actually took me to a river dance um, uh, show and I was like, wow, that's really cool. And then we went to an Irish festival and they had little kids, these little, I I was like 28 years old. They had these little kids that were Irish dancing and Um, the owner of the dance school got up and said, Oh, by the way, we have adult classes. So I just thought, you know what, I'd like to try that just to see if I can do it. And I instantly fell in love with it. And I've been doing it kind of ever since with the exception of when I was pregnant with my with my youngest. And I, um, yeah, now I'm, I'm at the adult championship level. So I started as a beginner and worked my way up. And I just, I just love it. And I would do it, All day, if I could, and if my body awesome,
0: (laughs) yeah, and and I'm sure it's a fantastic workout too. So it is, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That is that is great. It's always nice to find out what other like what drives people other than just work, right? It's just like, Mm -hmm. hey, there's something else out there that's kind of unique, and that certainly you don't hear that whole lot. But I'm awesome that you enjoy it, and dancing is always a great thing and uh, keeps everybody fit, and it's also Mm -hmm. good for a lot of different things. So. So you work primarily on the buy side of the M&A. Would that be a a correct assessment?
1: Yeah, 100% exclusively buy side.
0: Okay. So I know you and I had this conversation a couple of months ago, um, which kind of threw me off a little bit about, well, what's the real difference? Because you always hear, well, I'm on the buy side or the sell side. So can you help our listeners have a really good understanding of what is the difference between, let's just say, what you do on the buy side and what they may normally see as a business broker, an M&A person, um, would, would probably be on the sell side.
1: Yeah, I can certainly take a crack at that. A seller's representative, like you mentioned, is going to be a, a broker or an investment banker um, who's going to exclusively represent you as a seller, and, and they're going to go out into the market. They're going to try and find a, a, a buyer for you. Um, And their goal is going to be to get the highest purchase price for your business that they possibly can. And they're going to take you through the entire process from start to finish from preparing your business, um, marketing your business, and then going through that diligence process with you. What I do is I actually have relationships with hundreds of buyers. um, And then I go out and I search for businesses that align with those specific needs of, of those buyers. Whether that's a strategic need or um, a more opportunistic need, um, and then once I find those relationships, I think of myself as a matchmaker, and um, I, I talk to a business owner about their goals and what they want to do post-transition. Because some owners want to exit completely, others are looking for a growth partner, or you know, looking for something in between. And then I, I go out to the all the buyers that are in my network. And I sift through those to find a buyer who's going to fit the culture and the, the goals that the business owner has and who is also interested in acquiring a business in, in the, the business space. So that's that's kind of how we differentiate between a, a, a seller's rep and a buyer's rep.
0: OK. And then I assume then that the the buyer is the one that is paying you for your skill yes. set um, and yes. research and, and all the other stuff that goes along with that. Right
1: very good question thanks for bringing that up yes so the buyer pays all of my fees um, and I am a little bit unique in that I work on a contingency basis so I don't get paid anything until a business owner and a buyer close a deal um, and then all of those fees are paid by the buyer and um, that's an unusual business model typically you see buyers reps paid on a retainer basis by their by their buyers um, in their network and they go out and they, they search for for deals um, to supply the buyer on that, you know, somewhere between three thousand and seven thousand dollars a month. Um, I don't do that, and the reason for that is I, I really care about the sellers that come into my network, um, and I want to make sure that I match them with not just a buyer who's going to buy their business, but the right buyer, uh, the right buyer for them. Um, so I prefer to maintain all of the relationships that I find uh, out in the out in the market so that I can make sure that they are connected appropriately to a buyer who's not only going to treat them with this dignity and respect um, and and value their business fairly, uh, but who's going to be a good partner for the long-term.
0: Okay. Awesome. Thank you for that. Now let's talk a little bit about, do you have a particular niche that you work with since you have a background in um, supply chain, aerospace, manufacturing Do you stay within those areas for the most part? I I know you could probably go anywhere, but is that kind of where you like to focus your attention?
1: Being based in West Michigan, I kind of naturally fall into having a lot of manufacturing in my in my pipeline. Um, But I don't I don't stick with just those industries. Um, I have a lot of experience from an M&A perspective um, beyond manufacturing, beyond aerospace and defense in distribution and logistics. Um, uh, ABA or autism clinics, um, CPAs. I do a lot of work with like recurring revenue businesses as well. Um, wow. And yeah, and because we spend so much time in these spaces, um, it, it's really beneficial for the business owners who we connect with because um, we know the buyers in the space, we know the transition strategies that are available and how businesses are valued. Um, we are, we're always here. To to talk with business owners about, you know, is this is this a fair valuation? Are they um, are they treating us uh, with respect? And um, you know, this this obviously helps the buyer or helps the seller find a buyer faster and and be comfortable that it's the right buyer for them. But no, we we will really work in in just about any industry as long as we um, are able to wrap our arms around that space so that we can have an intelligent conversation about a
0: business. Yeah, great. Thanks for that. So, what's a typical uh, time frame or runway that a seller should start taking a look at potential buyers?
1: Now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, uh, everybody that listens to this podcast, you have heard of it from Michelle. Right now is the time to reach out to her and talk. Right?
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, a lot of my relationships um, they they extend for years. I have mm-hmm. business owners that I'm working with who I've been talking to for years. So there, there's really never a time when it's too early. And, and there's a few benefits to starting the conversation early. Um, one is it can reduce the need that you have to invest in an investment banker when you do go to sell your business because you already have relationships in the market. Um, another is that you've built trust in the relationship with your prospective buyer, um, which means that the the due diligence process is going to run more smoothly. Um, it's going to be faster. And that trust is going to allow you to be more open in your communications uh, and mm-hmm. vice versa than with you. So even if you don't plan on selling for five years, 10 years from now, um, there's no reason why you can't be having those conversations today. Um, the right buyer for you might have a very specific... Um, criteria of a business that they won't invest in, right? Maybe it's customer concentration. Um, and maybe you have customer concentration, and you can work between now and the time that you're ready to sell uh, in diluting that that concentration so that you really truly are an attractive target um, for the right buyer when the time does come.
0: Yeah, that would kind of parlay into the next question I have, which is really transition or exit planning, right? Which is a lot what we do. But it's like, if you have some of that set up, you've kind of done some of the planning and and let's just call it quasi due diligence to kind of walk through and prepare that company to be ready to be transferred to a new business owner, even though it may not be there. You kind of know what your blind spots and, and weaknesses are, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and there are some um there are some very specific company characteristics that across the board. Um, private equity firms will not invest in right, and and customer concentration is one of those things. Yep. And these are things that aren't typically fixed overnight, right? So you you can't look at you can't look at your business and say, I want to sell in 12 months. Here are the three major characteristics about my business that I need to change between now and then. Um, mm-hmm. So it you know the earlier that you start with that transition planning and and what kind of a, a buyer. You're looking for and better yet how can you get integrated with them before the sale whether that's from a strategic partnership with a portfolio company that they already own or you know something to that extent um like what can you do to make that transition um not only make your business more attractive and therefore worth more to the buyer um from mm-hmm. a, a purchase price standpoint but make the the overall integration um smoother
0: yeah what do you see in in kind of your environment as some of the challenges or pitfalls that business owners may encounter as they go through the process? I know you've mentioned one, certainly customer concentration is a big, big, big one. It could take forever and sometimes it just can't be done. So you have to change where you're going. But what are some of the other areas that maybe have some pitfalls in it that they, that they may not be aware of?
1: So there's about a thousand pitfalls throughout making a deal, unfortunately. Um, uh, some, of these, some of these items, one that comes to top of mind is um, buyers retrading. So what that means is the buyer has estimated that they're willing to pay X amount of dollars for your business. Um, but then throughout due diligence, they discover something that wasn't disclosed to them prior to them offering that amount of money. So they change either the purchase price or the structure around that, that purchase price. Um, this is a, a huge pitfall and oftentimes does cause deals to fall apart. And, and some things that sellers don't often know um, is that there's a, a very sophisticated due diligence process. I mean, we talk about diligence, but what does that really mean? Um, it doesn't just mean that the buyer is going to comb through your PL. and uh, It often means that the buyer is going to hire a firm and they're going to pay that firm $50,000 for them to comb through all of your uh, all of your your p l's and your historical records um, and they're going to they are very likely going to find something that you are either intentionally or unintentionally hiding from them um, and what that means is that trust is going to start deteriorating in the uh, in the relationship and they're not going to be willing to spend as much on the business as they were before so um, you know how do you mitigate that it is through communication. Um, so very early on in the conversation before you ever sign an LOI, um, have the conversation with, have two conversations with, with the buyer. The first conversation is here are all of the risks that I see in my business. Here is anything funky that you might find in my financials. Um, believe me, like buyers who work with founder owned or family owned businesses, they see funky things in financials all the time. So there's no, no reason to be, uh, embarrassed by anything that you've done. Um, it's it's about being open in that communication so that they know what to expect and and why it's there. And um, the, the second conversation that's really important to have is after you've expressed, here are all of the risks that you're going to find in my business. Um, once they have submitted an LOI to you that has evaluation and a structure on it, it's very important to say, how confident are you that you're going to come through with this valuation when we get to the, the closing table and this structure um, and ask them for their track record. How many times have you retraded? And what are, what were the circumstances around those retrades? Um, mm-hmm. Because that's, that's the last thing that you want to do after either you or they or both have spent one hundred or $200,000 um, going through due diligence is that all of a sudden, your, your purchase price is, is lower than it was before. And so make sure that you're having those those conversations, um, to, to avoid those pitfalls. And there's some other things that I don't want to go like too deep into the nitty gritty, but, um, there are, there are other terms that you should familiarize yourself and how they work. One is a a working capital tag. Um, and that, that goes through, um, the amount of, of cash or working capital is in the business. And, and basically, it just means like, as, as the seller, you can't go collect all of your accounts receivables and take all of the cash out of the business and leave nothing from an operating standpoint at the sale. And sometimes, um, sometimes sellers are, are calculating how much cash they have in the business and how much AR they can collect and adding that to the purchase price and saying, yeah, I'm willing to sell for that amount. Um, but then when they find out that that's not the case, Um, that it's really just it's just the purchase price um, that that changes things. And when that conversation happens two months into diligence, it can really throw things off. Um, So make sure that you're familiar with with some of those those terms and and how the math works. It's simple math. If you're a business owner, you'll be able to understand the math. It's just recognizing that that is something that's going to come up through the process.
0: Yeah, I would suspect. So I've heard of numbers in the past, um, about 50 percent. Of deals that um, are getting ready to sell have some kind of discount in the pricing. In your experiences, what are the top two or three reasons that this may happen? One of them, I think you probably already mentioned, is right, is they're intentionally or unintentionally. Disclosing data, right? Be upfront, right? What are what are some what are some other reasons that that might happen?
1: Um, so, customer concentration is a big reason for buyers to discount. Um, you know, I, I often hear buyers say, um, you know, if the top five customers are, you know, over thirty percent of the business, um, mm-hmm. or if the top one customer is more than ten to fifteen percent of the business, and and those are significant numbers. For founder owners and family-owned businesses mm-hmm. that are often founded off of one customer, um, and then they they gain a couple more, or maybe they have three customers that are 90% of their business, but they have 100 total customers. Um, that is still considered customer concentration. And um, many buyers just simply won't buy um, that business, and others will discount. Um, they'll say, you know, this top customer's worth a million dollars. Uh, We're gonna assume we're only gonna keep 30% of that, and we're gonna value your business that way. Um, Those are arbitrary numbers that I'm throwing out, but that to give you an example of how how they um, uh, can look at at those those discounts. Some other reasons is key person risk. You know, if the if the business owner, um, say a a CPA firm, that business owner is the CPA. They have all of the relationships with their clients. uh, the buyer is going to assume that a lot of those clients are going to leave when the CPA leaves, and and that's the same with maybe a salesperson um, in a manufacturing organization. Like if this if this person leaves, he takes all of his relationships with them. Um, typically, or they're uh,
0: or they're just really hard to replace, right? So right. So even if they, even if they don't even if they had some type of a non compete or something, a key person, general manager, salesperson, or some other person. Could be leaving where it would impact the business greatly, and it's really hard to recruit that person. Mm-hmm. And then, especially, I would suspect if you're in a certain area where it's harder to recruit, if they're not going to move the physical practice, then that makes it even more of a daunting task, right? Yeah, right. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. yeah, 100%. And also, I have seen business owners come forward with, you know, adjusted EBITDA numbers that assume that they're going to take all of these employees that they have that are currently making above market rate salaries and decrease those salaries to market rate. Um, and then they want to be valued off of this, you know, assumed adjusted EBITDA. But there's there isn't a buyer in the world who's going to say, I'm going to walk in on day one and reduce all of my key executive salaries in order to make this valuation worth it. So, you know, being really reasonable in, in how you are estimating your future cash flows, because that's really, when we're talking about evaluation, that's really what we're talking about. Um, how much money is this business going to make me as a buyer down the line? Um, and if I can't, if I can't execute on the assumptions that you're telling me, then those numbers are not accurate. Um, so you'll definitely see a discount, um, for that. Um, you, you may also see a discount, believe it or not, if you had a sudden increase in sales, we see this all the time where, um, business owners say, I've just had the best year of my life. Sales increased by 50%. Um, last year, now is the time to sell. You're, you're not going to get a full valuation from that because buyers are going to look at it and say, is this sustainable? Is there a reason why they increased by 50%? Um, and is it going to go back down next year? Um, we saw that a lot with COVID, especially where you know people stopped paying for um, you know capital improvements, and then all of a sudden uh, you know businesses have these booming years because all of these capital improvements that were put on the back burner came through. Um, but that's not going to be sustainable, and so you you know a buyer is not going to buy at that level, and and honestly the bank isn't going to underwrite. Um, that that level of growth either
0: yeah yeah great points great points michelle there's so much more that we can talk about with this topic i hope that maybe you can come back on the show again and talk because i know that this is going to be very interesting for our listeners here it's great to hear it from from your side of what you experience what what buyers are looking for because that's who you represent is the buyer and you know Business owners and people that listen to this podcast, you need to really pay close attention to that, reach out to Michelle and chat with her about what she does. Cause I think that can really create some insight, but we really appreciate you being here today and really sharing some of your information and hope that you'd be happy to come back on at some point Definitely. here in the future when your time, when, you, when she's not dancing around the country <laughs> and competing on a regular basis, everybody, she's going to come back in and share some of her very, very important insights also. So, Thanks again so much for being here. I hope everybody who's listening to this podcast enjoyed this episode of Finishing Touches. If you'd like more content, certainly you can check out our website at Uh If you like our podcast, please uh, have a review on there. Uh, certainly have latest tips and insights inside in- the, the website. We look forward to accompanying you on your journey to a successful business transition in the next episode. Hope you enjoyed this one and we will see you next time. Thank you so much. That's a wrap on today's episode of Finishing Touches. For more information and guidance, head over to PrometisPartners.com. Your feedback means the world to us, so please take a moment and leave a review of the podcast. You can stay in the loop or ask me a question by connecting with me on LinkedIn or visit our website and start a conversation with me. We look forward to accompanying you on your journey to a successful business transition in our next episode and have a great week. Thank you so much.